Welcome to the Veterinary Viewfinder, episode 003, Money Matters. I'm Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And this is Becky Moss, a registered veterinary technician. And we're in the money. Today's episode focuses on money matters, and we want to dive into the tension that veterinarians and veterinary technicians have with money. Why do we have this antagonistic relationship with finances? So today, we're going to get the perspectives of me, a practice owner and practice management expert, Dr. Cindy Courtney, an associate veterinarian, and our beloved veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. I need to feel you, Jerry! Show me the money! Jerry, you better yell! Show me the money! And Ernie, I think this is definitely one of the most emotional issues in veterinary medicine for both veterinary team members and for our clients. And the question often becomes, you know, are, are our veterinary practices businesses? You know, we are making money in our practices. We're taking home a salary. We want to send our team members home with a salary. But I just saw on Facebook the other day someone commenting uh, on a client who said, I want to find a vet who cares about the animals and who doesn't care about money. And so there's often this confusion and this tension between uh, team members and the pet owners about, you know, where everybody's priorities really are. And so, so I guess uh, that'll be our first question today is, is how does veterinary medicine work as a business and how do we balance our care as well as the business pieces of veterinary medicine uh, in our individual approaches to practice? And you're right, Cindy. I mean, how did money become such a dirty word in veterinary medicine. And Becky, from a, a technician, a staff standpoint, I mean, the emotional toll that dealing with these issues takes, I mean, how does it impact you? Well, I think it's interesting from a veterinary technician standpoint, having worked in several veterinary hospitals, and I think it really bases on communication and transparency from the business standpoint. It's hard for support staff to understand the expenses that it costs to run a hospital. And so a lot of times I think they are subject to seeing it as, boy, a lot of money comes in, but they don't always get to see what's coming out. So sometimes I I think support staff can can often be on the side of the pet parent where they don't know what the expenses are. But I've also worked in practices where the manager is really open about expenses, really open about the finances, and talks about this is what we spent, this is what we made, this is what we lost, this is what we gained. And it really gives the staff a chance to be intimately involved and have a true understanding of what goes on with finances and understand it is a business. And and personally when I talk to my team and when I talk to clients, I try and keep in my mind and my heart that our veterinary practices are engines of healing. So every single dollar that comes into that veterinary practice is a, another dollar that's going to turn around and help heal another pet. And so when we have team members who say, you know, hey, can't we give a discount here? Can't we give a discount there? I try and remind myself as well as our team that often that means that we're going to have to charge somebody else more later down the road 
or that means that we won't be able to pay our team adequately. So we might lose really great team members who can handle pets with compassion and care. And so I do try to hold on to this idea that if we price our services fairly and adequately, we're really going to be working toward providing high quality health care and extending the lives of the patients that we see. And Cindy, I agree with everything you've just said, but the reality is sometimes a little different. And you're right. The transparency is important that our staff, our technicians, our associates understand that it costs money to run this big engine of healing, which I love, by the way. I will say this. First and foremost, we have historically grossly inadequately paid our staff, which I believe has led to a lot of this mess in the first place, because we've now created a culture where we try to get people for the least amount of money, to give them the least benefits. I mean, it is still rare for veterinary hospitals to provide health insurance beyond what they are legally required to do. I think that's unconscionable, but that's another discussion and another debate. The reality is, if we can't and don't prioritize our staff, and that means taking care of their, their wages and their benefits, their time, their emotional states, then we are going to forever suffer with this tension between money. But- I know for new associates coming into the practice with increasing debt loads, that's changing too. And for our veterinary team members who are going to technician school and, and taking debt out of technician school as well, those debt loads are increasing. I absolutely agree with you that we have to pay our team members fairly and they want to stay in our profession and often can't because of the financial limitations there. It makes a huge difference to, to pay people adequately for, for how we're treating them and saying you're just worth the absolute minimum that we can pay you is, is not sending an appropriate message to them about their value either. So absolutely agree with you there. Um, I do think we're getting pulled on multiple ends, not just from the technician end, but I think that pressure to keep costs as low as possible is happening to more and more new associate veterinarians as well. Well, I totally agree with both of you guys, and I appreciate the the support you guys are, are giving out there for support staff, because I think a lot of times we settle for less. But okay, let's be real here. A lot of times it comes down to where we really just don't have a lot of money to work with. And I know as a technician, a lot of times we're advocating for the client, hey, we've got $600, doc, what can we do here? So where do finances come into the high versus low quality that we have to provide in a practice on a daily basis? Right. And it's one of the questions I've been exploring for quite some time. You know, we, we talk about the relationship between low and high cost care, and we correlate that directly with quality. And I don't know if that's always fair because in my experience, you know, as a consultant, I will go into some clinics that I think are charging a higher fee for the services they're delivering. And then I I see many clinics that are charging a much lower fee and providing incredibly high quality. So, Becky, you're right. It gets down to the profitability of the practice, the the business practices of the the veterinary hospital that allow us to pay and and take care of our staff. Um, So, so Cindy, let's kind of jump a little bit sideways here. What about the, the clients? What do you think their perception of the cost and value of veterinary care is? You know, I had an interesting insight into this in the past week. Um, So as I mentioned, I'm pregnant. So I'm about five months pregnant. And so I'm a soon-to-be mom. I've started joining a bunch of Facebook groups 
One is a moms with a DVM, so a veterinary moms group, and one is a local group, just moms in my area. And what's funny is the conversations are actually pretty similar on both with one major difference. In the moms veterinary group, they ask a lot of medical advice about their kids, which I found very ironic since we, as a (laughs) group of veterinarians, get upset when people ask their friends for veterinary advice instead yes, of reaching yes. out to their veterinarians. And then on the, the just local moms group, I realized those moms were asking advice about everything, whether it was about their car, whether it was about buying something new, whether it was about their kids' health, whether it was about their pets' health. And it helped me realize that for most families, you know, their pet and the pet expenses are are another thing, just like their kid's health and their how their car is running. And so right. when they walk into our hospital, when they are asking about cost, I think we often take it very personally that they don't appreciate the value of our care, or maybe they don't, we see it as they don't value their pet, but they're seeing their pet as just another thing in their life, just like everything else they have on their plate. Oh, Cindy, I'm so glad you said that because for years in my lectures, I have said a very simple statement, and I don't think vets always get this. That is that when people are asking you for the price of something, they're not passing judgment, meaning that they just want to find out how much it's going to cost to treat this ear. So, Becky, you and the support staff are typically the front line when it comes to these hard discussions about money. What are your experiences with, like, how clients perceive? Are we ripping them off or is it a good value? It's so funny because I think, you know, I've really seen the full spectrum. And it's hard because, like Dr. Cindy said, sometimes it comes down to what is on their plate in the moment and what else is going on in their life. I've seen people who you think, you know, who who will immediately sell personal belongings to pay a vet bill, you know, and others who complain because they just got back from vacation and they couldn't possibly afford this bill. So, you know, we see the full spectrum and sometimes I don't think it's related to the care so much as related to the value of the pet. Now, vets often make it all about the money. So they think that clients choose or choose not to use them based on the money, how much they charge for a spay or neuter or for a you know physical examination. Cindy, what's your experience? Do you think that's fair? Do you think that, that vets should have that, that sort of perspective on this issue? And I had an, a very interesting discussion actually with my practice owner the other day about this where we said, you know, hey, when somebody is calling about a price, are they a client who ultimately is only going to care about the price. And and she made a very compelling argument to me that ultimately her goal is to, to give them the basic information as close to accurate information as she can, and then to try and let them get to know us so that they can see who we are and what we have to offer and give them the feeling that, hey, I like this. I like this information I'm getting. I like the support I'm getting. So I think sometimes we don't give them the chance to make it about more than the money, but it is sometimes the limitation for people. Sometimes that is what gets in their way for uh, giving the care that they want to their pet. Um, And as we talk about all of these things, we invite every uh, pet owner and veterinary team member to go to our Facebook page, our Veterinary Viewfinder Facebook page, and talk about your experiences and your questions when it comes to money, because we're, we're definitely interested in hearing what everyone else is going through too. But um, how about you guys? 
Well, I think you make some really great points for sure. And, you know, it's it's hard to cater to all of the different perspectives in the practice. I think you're right, though. One thing we have to do is make sure our clients know the value behind the service, not just the cost. So what's included in that service, what all is in, is encompassed and why it's important. So they understand it's not just the bottom line, but it's everything that that service is comprised of. And, you know, Becky, it's more complicated than that. And that's that's sort of that is the prevailing wisdom. And you're absolutely right. People have to understand. But it value goes far beyond the laundry list of things that you are doing in the spay, neuter or dental dental procedure. And it is about the connection, the bond, how you feel you know, the the interpersonal relationships, that's where value is founded. And, and I think too often veterinarians want to make it about, well, then we add isoflurane and we do blood testing, we monitor blood pressure and blah, 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 blah. And that's lost. The owner is like, okay, A, I assume you're going to do that because that sounds like just basic common sense to keep my pet alive during this dental procedure or surgery or whatever. But two, how do you make me feel? Does all of this laundry list of additional services and, and products, does that make me feel better about what I'm doing? Does it make me trust you more? So I think that we have to somehow combine and communicate effectively not only the all the things that we do, because they don't know, but also with how that impacts their pet's health and how we make them feel. And I do worry that there are some times where Offering the complete highest standard of care starts butting up and coming into conflict with how we sometimes make clients feel. And it's something I've struggled with as a new associate as well, because we always want to offer the highest standard of care. We don't always know and we can't assume what people want to do for their pets. As Becky mentioned, some people will, will sell personal possessions or ask people for help. Um, they want to give their pet the, the gold standard. But I also feel sometimes when we have that conversation, if it's not done in the right way, people feel alienated or they feel very guilty about the fact that they're not able to give that very gold standard. And sometimes we create fear and stress surrounding these financial discussions, which can undermine our emotional value to clients. So that is... It becomes a problem, I think. And I think that creates some anxiety about people going to their veterinarian as well. And and that's not a problem I think we have completely solved. And I try and be proactive about it, talk with clients about how they can proactively afford services by saving with pet insurance, things like that, as, as close as I've been able to come. But I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, your experiences with that and what solutions you guys have come up with. Well, I think you're so right. And it's you're right. It can be really difficult to work through those instances with pet owners and to find how to help them individually in their circumstance while still, like you said, keeping that emotional connection. I fear if, you, if any of our clients think they're being judged, they won't come back. And then what happens to our patients? So it's such a good point there. I have to say I love wellness plans and I think that pet insurance needs to be educated um, for clients more and talked about more because I think in this day and age with the generations we deal with the most, that is a great answer for them. And a lot of young pet owners today can afford $20, $30 a month maybe as opposed to these huge vet bills they encounter um, if an emergency happens. So I lean to those as well and love to educate clients on those options. Yeah, and Becky, that is a fantastic point and one I want to make sure we emphasize. 
And that is that pet insurance saves lives. If you are struggling with convenience euthanasias, if you're struggling with, as I call it, economic euthanasias, you need to make sure that you're talking about pet insurance because it can save lives. There's been a lot of confusion, though, with uh, with pet owners because they don't understand the difference between like wellness plans and pet insurance. And so historically, some of the wellness plans that we've had so far they tend to cover some of the basic things, and then the pet comes in with an ear problem, for example, and they're like, hey, your wellness plan doesn't cover it because they thought it was insurance. And conversely, they come in and they have like a critical care you know, uh, type of uh, policy for their pet insurance. They're like, well, it doesn't cover the ear infection either. So I think people need to understand the differences for me my personal belief is that pet insurance is the thing we should be stressing more simply because I hate the economic euthanasia pressures. I think wellness plans are great if they're clearly articulated and explained, but they can create some confusion, which then leads to disappointment. So what about your experiences, Cindy, with like pet insurance discussion, wellness plans, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, no, it, it's something that we're talking about more and more. I have an interesting experience in that when I graduated from vet school, I practiced in the highest median income county in the country, in Loudoun County, Virginia. And now I practice south of Kansas City, Missouri. So economically, the two areas I've practiced in are very, very different. And I've seen the impact that has on the kind of cases that come in. So people wait a lot longer to bring their pets in until their pets are sicker because they're trying to avoid a vet visit. Um, often, you know, people struggle more to pay that initial vet visit bill. They struggle to go to a specialist if a specialist is needed. And we've recognized that pet insurance enables people to do those things and ultimately save money in the long run because they're they're able to do the things that their pet really needs. So as a hospital, we're talking about it more and more from that very first puppy visit, very first kitten visit. Should the staff be talking about these topics? Yes, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm, I'm like jumping out of my seat about this right now because <laughs> I have a house full of dogs and cats because people couldn't pay their bill. So you know what? Not only did the practice not get the money from the owner, but... They put it on my charge account so that I could take these pets over. They gave me a discount to do it because I was a staff member. I guarantee you my veterinarian threw some dewormers and some flea medicine and such at me just to help out knowing I was taking on the financial burden of a broken pet that couldn't be paid for. So not only did they not really recoup their money in the long run even a little bit, it ended up costing their staff money. So, And maybe if I can't take the pet, a really emotional hit, right? So like you talk about these economical euthanasias, um, even though it is putting them on a pet plan, it is talking about money, we're helping them find a reasonable way to manage the money. It's going to cost money in the long run anyway, but how can we make it manageable for them? And I want to hear your comments on our Veterinary Viewfinder Facebook page because I don't know anyone who works in the vet profession who hasn't done exactly what Becky has done, and that is taken a pet that's been relinquished because of cost. They couldn't afford the care, and they wound up – I mean, I've got a house full just like you, Becky. I mean, it's it's a – it's a tragedy, and it brings additional emotional pressure on us because we're sitting there going, oh, my gosh, this person can't afford it. I can't see this animal be euthanized. I'll take care of it. And I have one of those at home myself, a lovely little Pomeranian who is one and a half years old and was clearly extremely loved. She came with a whole bucket of clothes when she came to us, but her owners uh, were having a baby and could no longer afford to keep her. Um, so we've all been there, and 
it brings up ethical questions because when a pet owner wants to do the right thing for their pet, they want their pet to live, the pet has a great chance of making it through and that pet owner just cannot afford to take care of them, it puts them in a very emotionally difficult spot. And some clinics find that they go through that, they do that, the pet is relinquished, they find it a new home. And the previous pet owners are very upset about the fact that now they have money, now they can't get their pet back. Um, our clinic has dealt with it by having a uh, rescue actually affiliated with our hospital, a nonprofit rescue. We try to make it very clear when a, a pet is being relinquished. We have paperwork um, that's associated with that. It, we're inspected by the USDA. We, we go the whole nine yards, so people are very aware that they are giving their pet up to a rescue agency. But I don't know how your hospitals deal with that, how you guys feel about that ethically. Yeah, and, and that's, that is the conundrum. We've now become this sort of rescue organization. It's complicated, folks. I really want to hear your comments on our social media. We're on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder, Facebook, Veterinary Viewfinder. I really want to hear your thoughts on this because we've all been in that situation. And you're right, Cindy. When people find out you took their, you know, you, they relinquished the dog and then you find another home and it turns out it's two neighborhoods over, they're ticked off. And I, that's just something we don't need to do. So, what is our professional responsibility? This doesn't happen to pediatricians. You know? How do we get ourselves into this mess? But more importantly, how do we move forward? So Becky, thoughts on, on what you've done and what we've all done? Oh, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm as guilty. I've got a house. You know what I did. They're all in my house. I fed them this morning. You know, they run my life. So unfortunately, <laughs> I am the suck. I, you know, I'm the sucker. Now I have to say, I haven't been able to say yes in every case. And sometimes you can find another home. Sometimes you take part in that economic euthanasia. But either way, there is a toll taken no matter what. So I think being proactive and again, kind of almost circling back, being proactive is our, our number one opportunity here to make a difference. And what I want to emphasize that Dr. Cindy said a while ago that was really important is this is a conversation to be had at puppy and kitten visits. This isn't something to be had when the pet is sick and when it's a year old and when we need to have blood work at our, you know, senior visits. We should be having this as like, this is part of your puppy care preparation. This is normal everyday stuff. Here are the things you need to do. One, two, and three, and insurance or a savings plan is going to be included on that. And just in my puppy visits, we talk about behavior and a lot of pet owners don't think about behavior and training as a medical issue, but we know in the first couple years of life, it's actually the number one risk to life is if that pet has a training issue, if they become aggressive, if they never become housebroken, they may get relinquished, they may end up at a shelter and they may end up euthanized. So it's to me, an important health issue to talk about behavior at those early visits and to continue talking about it through the pet's life. I think if economic euthanasia is an issue, that makes preparing owners financially a health issue for that pet. And our conversation today has been pretty deep and gotten into some heavy topics. So we, we did want to lighten it up a little bit at the end of our conversation today and talk about, not about pet peeves this week, but about some of our favorite things. 
in veterinary medicine, either in our past or things that have happened this week that have really brought a smile to our face in practice. So I'll pass it along to, to Becky to get us kicked off. Okay, I am going to keep with the holiday spirit. Um, I had a heavy dose of holiday spirit yesterday while I was out and about town. Um, and I have to say, how about all of these veterinary practices that have giving trees? Whether it be to a shelter or to pets in need or even people in need. But I really love the opportunity we take to give back. And while we are talking about money and expenses and tolls, um, I think the veterinary field should get applauded for the fact that we do a lot of giving and I just love it and it really helped put me in the holiday season. That is good and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Veterinarians have to be seen as giving more to their community than they take and they also need to expand their scope and reach beyond that of animal. Well something that really really made me feel grateful this week was I I was at the Central Veterinary Conference in San Diego, which is always an honor uh, to be able to present there. Um, And the CVC is kind of unique because it's a mid-tier size. It's not the biggest. There's maybe 3,500 people that show up. So you get a different exhibitor, a different type of company. I really spent time with um, some of the smaller companies. These were primarily family-run businesses and and, uh, even highlighted a couple in my recent YouTube uh, vlog. I was so grateful that there are people that are are committing their lives, their expertise, their resources to making little niche products for pets that really help impact and enhance their quality of life. Good job out there, all you small companies that are struggling. You're making better products and you're making a difference. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to hearing about some of those. They definitely take a risk and take a step out there to, to bring those things to market. The thing I always think about this time of year and is my favorite thing to start receiving around the holidays are just pictures of my patients. And I go through every year and look at the pictures of pets people have sent me in the past to in veterinary medicine. We spend each day talking about sometimes what's going wrong with pets, how they're unhealthy or how we can fix things or make them better. But I love seeing those windows into pets' happy lives at home. And I just sit down with all the pictures of my patients I've seen over the years, and it brings so much joy to my heart. And getting those little Christmas cards or holiday cards from um, my clients and, and pictures of my patients is one of my absolute favorite things in the world. And that is why we do it. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Thank you for listening. Money is tough to talk about. It's especially tough to talk about in the veterinary profession. So we want to hear your thoughts, your comments. Uh, We want to hear what you'd like to to hear us talk about. So please visit us on Twitter at VetViewfinder. Facebook is where we really like to hang out. That's at Veterinary Viewfinder on Facebook. Until next time, remember... We're in the money, but we're not in the money. See you next week. Bye.